Welcome to the Thinking Faith Podcast, a collection of talks and Q&A that address the big questions we're all asking about God, life and purpose. Thank you for the opportunity to share this message with you. The pursuit of success. Success is an interesting word. It's a word that we don't often reflect on in a kind of critical and deeper way. We all just kind of look for success and we pursue it based on how we feel or based on what we think or based on what we're told. But I want to just unpack a little bit more this idea of success and how we pursue it, the context in which we're pursuing it, and where we may be going wrong. And most importantly, finally, what does the Christian message have to say about this funny thing called success? And I want to do that through two stories. The stories of one pearl merchant and one pearl diver. A pearl merchant and a pearl diver. Now, all of you know what pearls are. Uh, Ladies, you're watching, you may have pearl earrings or a pearl necklace, so everyone knows what a pearl is. But in the Bible, one of the shortest parables that Jesus tells is about the pearl of great value. And it's in Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, just two verses. And Jesus says this, again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. I'm just going to read it again because it's so short. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's the parable of the pearl of great value, or the parable of the pearl merchant. The second story is a story about a pearl diver. And this story is taken from the great John Steinbeck novel, simply titled The Pearl. And The Pearl is the fictional story of a peasant pearl diver named Kino. And I think it's set in Mexico, around the Gulf of Mexico. And Kino is suffering from all kinds of financial struggles. And he is looking, like all of us are, for success. Kino is looking for success. And he's got financial needs, he's got financial struggles, and he's a pearl diver. And so his job is basically to dive for pearls and then to sell them to the pearl merchants and into the kind of pearl market economy, if you like, in his village and in the surrounding villages. And he's diving and comes across an enormous pearl, this pearl of great value, this incredible pearl of great price that is going to make him rich. And as far as Kino is concerned, this pearl is the key to his success. It's going to deal with all of his problems. He's going to attain the level of achievement and success and prestige and wealth and freedom from struggle and suffering that he's been looking for his whole life. And from that point on in the story, Kino's entire life is about protecting and preserving that pearl and about realising the wealth that comes from selling that pearl. So it kind of starts off as a happy story, but sadly, as is so often the case with what we perceive to be success or what we choose to be our objects of success, bad things begin to happen. Kino's focus on this pearl 
leads him astray in many ways. His marriage suffers. His faith suffers. His attention to the other things in his life, his relationships, they begin to suffer because he's so focused on this pearl of great price. Beyond that, people in the villages surrounding hear about this, and so some of the pearl merchants band together to try and fraudulently rip Kino off. They're trying to find a way to trick him into selling his pearl for far less than it's worth. And so people conspire against him, and he begins to feel anxiety and threat and pressure. And then thieves begin to break into his home looking to steal this pearl. So he finds himself having to defend himself, defend his property, defend his family, and in his mind and heart, most importantly, defending and protecting this pearl. But quickly it becomes clear that this pearl is causing more and more problems, more and more trouble for him, far from being this symbol of success and prestige and wealth, it's just causing more and more problems. And, and he is attacked, and his house is attacked, it is ransacked, there are thieves after him, so much so that he decides to take his wife and his son, and they have to escape to a city, to escape the thieves, the robbers, the trackers that are chasing him to try and steal this pearl. Towards the end of the story, and it turns out to be, unfortunately, a very sad story, he and his family are seeking to evade these robbers, and three of them come after him, trackers, thieves, and he has to confront them, and he ends up actually killing these robbers in order to protect this pearl of great price. But in the crossfire, in the gunfire that ensues in that fight, his son is tragically shot and killed. And in one of the final scenes of the story, Kino and his wife are standing on a cliff and they make the decision that this pearl has just caused so much trouble, formally considered this great symbol of success, that they think that the only sensible thing to do, given the tragedy that has come about because of it, is to throw it back into the ocean. And that's exactly what happens. This pearl of great price. Two stories about two pearls, two pearls allegedly of great value, of great price, that end in very, very different ways. What can Kino's story and Jesus' parable about these two pearls, the pearl merchant and the pearl diver, what can they tell us about success? What does these two stories have to say to you and me this morning about this thing we call success and about our pursuit of success? I'd like to talk about it in the context of three truths for you and I this morning. Firstly, what these stories show us, particularly the story of Kino, is that we all search for success. Secondly, we all struggle with success. And thirdly, we all need to redefine success. We search for success, we struggle with success, and we all need to redefine success. So first of all, the search for success. Now, let me just translate these stories into everyday life in the 21st century, you and I all have pearls of great value in our life. We all have things that we have made the object of our success. It might be wealth, it might be education, it might be your Instagram feed, how many Twitter followers you've got, it might be professional advancement, that next promotion, that next HDB or condo or landed property you want to move into, it might be a car, 
It might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it might be a spouse, it might be kids. We all have these pearls of great value, these objects of our success that we center our entire lives around. We make our whole lives about these great pearls of success. And if we had to be honest with ourselves and someone said, what does success look like to you right now or look like to you this year or look like to you in these coming years? If we're honest, we have very, very clear things in our minds and in our hearts. And most of the time, these things are not in and of themselves bad things. None of what I just suggested are bad things. There's nothing wrong with having a good job and advancing professionally, being well thought of, having a good reputation, having a good LinkedIn profile, raising a happy family, driving a nice car. These are all good things. But is there a problem in the same way that Kino found if we make all of these things the exclusive focus of our pursuit, the exclusive focus of our life? The pearl of great price is that which you and I make the centre of our pursuit of success. And here is the problem. The prevailing cultural narrative out there, out there in the real world, is this, that you have to choose what success is for you. Now, some of that is from a bit of postmodern thinking, but most of it today is from this post-truth idea that your feelings are the most important thing. Feelings matter most. And so you need to define success for yourself. You need to define it for yourself. And that's where this millennial mantra comes from. You do you, your best self, your best life. We see it summarized wonderfully in Frank Sinatra's famous song, My Way, where he says, what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. And then later, the record shows I took the blows and did it my way. This whole idea that we self-actualize, the psychologists call it self-actualization. We are all told, we're given this message, it's up to you to go out there and decide what success means for you. And then go out there and get it, pursue it. Decide what the objects of your success are and then go out there and pursue it. Now, that seems at first value like a nice idea. I get to decide what success looks like for me. The problem is it's based on an enormous existential and experiential contradiction. The world out there will tell us that we get to decide what success is. But the reality of human beings, regardless of whether we are Christian or not, what we believe or what we don't believe, what we call ourselves, is that we are inherently relational. We are social. We draw our meaning and our identity, at least in part, from people around us, from the society around us, from our families, from our culture, from our workplaces. And so we don't define success if we choose, for, choose it for ourselves. The reality is, even if we're told to define it however we want, we actually define it based on what the cultural models of success are around us. And today, in this city, those are very, very clear. It's about education. It's about professional advancement. It's about financial prosperity, financial security, building a safe and secure and materially prosperous life for ourselves and our families. And as I said, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. But we're kidding ourselves if we think that we have just decided to pursue these things because we've decided in the abstract. No, we, we have bought in to the cultural paradigms of success around us. The world has told us this is what it means to be successful. 
to be beautiful, to be attractive, to wear the right clothes, to meet the right people, to live in the right places, to drive the right kind of car, to go to the right kind of schools. And here in Southeast Asia in particular, these paradigms of success are imposed on us very, very early. Arguably when we're six, seven, eight years old, the first time we are taking tests and we are being academically streamed, that is the beginning of the imposition of cultural paradigms of success. We are being told this is what success is. You've got to do well here to get into the right class, so you can get into the right school, so you can get into the right college, so you can get into the right university, so you can get the right kind of job and meet the right kind of person and have the right kinds of kids and live in the right kind of HDB or condo. And so then you can have kids that go to the right kind of schools, that get into the right kind of classes, and it goes again and again. These are the cycles of success. It's, it's society's idea of what success is, and it's thrown at us again and again. And at the same time, we are told this contradictory idea that we get to choose success for ourselves. Well, we don't really get to choose it for ourselves. The world around us chooses it. All we can do is strive for it and do our best to try and meet those standards of success, which is what we all do. That's just human instinct, to want to do well, to want to succeed. The problem is it only works out one of two ways. These societal paradigms of success, we either fail to meet them, which leaves us feeling empty, it leaves us feeling insecure, it leaves us scrambling for our identity and for who we are, for fulfilment, or, and in many ways equally problematically, we succeed. We attain these levels of success. We meet the standards that society says for us, sets for us. And yet, remarkably, in a similar way, we still end up feeling empty. We still end up feeling insecure. We still end up feeling inadequate. How can that possibly be? How does that work out? But well, we move then to the second point. We all search for success, that's quite clear, but we all struggle with success. So what happens when we are actually successful by cultural and societal standards? When we do study hard and get the right marks and get the right degree and get the right job? What happens when we get all the right things and do all the right things? For some reason, it doesn't quite pay off. First of all, it seems like every time we attain something, we're then presented with something else. Well, yeah, it's good that you got into this school, but now you've got to get into this college. It's good that you got into this college, but now you've got to get into university. The goalposts of success seem to keep moving away from us. Every time we achieve something that society says and promises will make us successful, every time we seem to get that pearl of great value, the world tells us, well, there's actually another pearl that you need. You've got 1,000 Instagram followers, you actually need 2,000. You've got 50,000, you actually need 100,000. You're a multi-millionaire, you've actually got to be a billionaire. You've got a big six-bedroom condo, you actually need a landed property. It doesn't seem to matter where we are, we always need and want more. And there are some astonishing statistics that have been published just recently, by coincidence, that reflect this. And the data for what I'm about to say is everywhere, and it's through human history, and it's in every human heart. But these statistics really astonished me. In data that the Singapore Business Review reported just last month, based on this data, Singapore now, statistically, has officially the world's most unhappy workforce. We have the most unhappy workforce in the world. 48% of 
Singaporeans surveyed, not just Singaporeans, but people working in Singapore survey, say that they are unhappy at work. And that's obviously not a good sign for Singapore, but when you look at the rest of the data across other countries, it's pretty bad for all industrialised, modern, developed countries. Most of the OECD sits between 40 and 48%, and Singapore tops it at 48%. Related data reported by the Straits Times last month suggests that one half of high income earners in Singapore reported having money trouble. These are people on annual incomes of 400, 500, 600,000, a million plus dollars a year, reported having money trouble. These are all people who are successful by any social standard and cultural standard and economic standard. They are successful and yet they are struggling with success. In her essay titled Success and Excess, a woman called Harriet Rubin she tracks just some of the stories and some more of the data from around the world of people who have attained success by the world's standards of success. CEOs, entrepreneurs, celebrities, people are very, very successful economically, culturally and socially. And she tracks this incredible thing that seems to happen. When people get to the top, they begin to self-destruct. Alcoholism, pornography addiction, extramarital affairs, depression, loneliness, anxiety. It's obviously not just for people at the top, that happens throughout society, but there is an incredible prevalence of people who self-destruct once they get successful. Why is that? People get everything they've ever wanted, they get to the top of their profession, the top of their industry, the top of their sector, and then for some reason things begin to go wrong. How could that be? There's a famous Irish proverb that says, we spend our whole life climbing the ladder of success, all too often to find that the whole time it has been leaning up against the wrong building. And here we begin to see the reality of worldly success. It's all well and good to strive for things. It's all well and good to achieve in accordance with the standards that the world sets for us. But we have to be really, really careful that we're achieving in the right space that we're striving in the right space, that we're looking for the right kinds of pearls. There's a great Christian philosopher and thinker named Origen. And Origen said, when we look for pearls in the muddy, worldly works of the flesh, all we find are darkened pearls, and they are not beautiful. When we look for success in worldly works, in the things of this world, in money, in pleasure, in convenience, in material wealth, in reputation, in fame, in beauty, physically, these are things of the world. All we can find are darkened pearls, and they are not beautiful. Many of you, certainly anyone who's listening that's probably under the age of 15 or has kids and probably many others, We'll be familiar with the Madagascar movie. It's a while back now. Anyway, there were actually two or three Madagascars, and in the second Madagascar movie, it's like a DreamWorks CGI animation, the animals, it's set in the savannas of Africa, the animals are struggling because human beings have set up a dam of the river that flows into their watering hole where they get their source of water. And so the, water, the watering hole is dried up, 
But they don't know about this dam further up. For some reason, the water's just got dry. So the king, King Julian, king of the lemurs and king of all the animals, he commissions a subcommittee to start digging in the watering hole to try and find water. And I think it's like a combination of, you know, hippopotamus, monkeys, and so forth that are all digging. And the king walks past at one point and says, have you had any luck? What's going on? Like, have you found water? And one of the committee members looks at him and says, sorry, king, no water. All we found is this big pile of junk. And then the camera pans across to what they have found, and it's this enormous pile of gold and silver and pearls and rubies and precious gems, diamonds just sparkling. And of course, the amusing thing for the viewer is that these animals don't realize how rich they are, what they've actually found. They think this is just a pile of junk, whereas really they're worth millions now, hundreds of millions even. But the joke is actually on the viewer who responds like that, because the response of the animals is much more accurate in the context of success and flourishing and fulfillment, because they understand something that we instinctively don't understand in that moment when we're laughing. They understand that all of those jewels, all of those gems, all of that money means absolutely nothing to them. They need water. Water is the source of their life. Water is the source of their fulfillment. Water, at that point, is the source of their flourishing. There's no market out there. There's no supply-demand economy out there for them to sell all of this stuff and get water. They just need water. They know. They're looking for pearls in the right place. They're looking for the right kind of pearls. For us, all too often, the reason that we struggle with success is because we are looking for the right things in the wrong places. And that seems to be the problem that Kino had in Steinbeck's novel. He thought this pearl of great price was all that he needed. He was looking for meaning, for security, for fulfillment, for flourishing, for stability, all the things that we look for when we are looking for success. The problem is he was looking for it in the wrong place. He thought it was all in this pearl of great price. That's where he went wrong. So we all search for success. We all struggle with success. So what's the solution then? if we are struggling and all we are finding are darkened pearls, all we are finding in things of the world are the darkened things, the things that don't hold up, the things that ultimately don't last. So we come thirdly to this need that we all have to redefine what success actually means. And we have to start by being honest and accepting the reality that we have to Find an objective point of reference. Success can't be a floating idea that everyone can just decide for themselves. We need an objective reference point because society changes so much, I change so much, you change so much, and if we just wake up every morning and pursue success based on how we feel, we're always going to be unsatisfied because we are changing, the world is changing, and our definitions of success will constantly change. So we need a fixed, objective, dare I say, transcendent definition of success. We need to redefine success objectively. We need to redefine success transcendentally. And that's where we come back to the Christian message. And we look now at the Bible and we begin to see a new, transcendent, relevant and compelling paradigm of success. One that stands separate from what the world will tell us. One that stands above and beyond what the world tells us. And one that caters to our need for flourishing and fulfillment and meaning and purpose and all of these things in a much more lasting and stable way.
And we begin to see it, in fact, we, we see it throughout the words of Jesus Christ himself. When you look at the Bible and look at the words of Jesus, he's unpacking what success looks like. And so I want to take you to three things that Jesus says. There's plenty that we could point to, but I just want to share three things as we unpack what this new definition of success is. What is the Christian definition of success and how can we pursue it? The first thing is something Jesus says that resonates very much with the Madagascar illustration. Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust consume and thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not consume and thieves do not break in and steal. He's talking exactly about what Origen said. Don't look for your pearls amongst the marshes in the worldly, fleshly things. All you'll find are darkened pearls and they're not going to be beautiful. You need to find pearls for you that are linked to heaven, that are connected to heaven. Lasting pearls of success. A second thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of John, John 10.10, he says, I have come so you can have life and have it to the full. Okay, now there are two things we can take from these first two statements of Jesus. The first is that the pearls we are looking for, success, the standards of success that we have for ourselves, they can't be anchored in this world. Secondly, Jesus says, I have come so you can have life and have it to the full. So Jesus now is linking success with himself somehow. He says, I am the way. And if this is all you know about Jesus, if this is the first two sentences you hear about Jesus, all we know at this point is that Jesus is saying, success has very little to do with things in this world, and it's got something to do with me. I have come so you can have life and have it to the full. But what does that actually mean? How? How, Jesus... Are you the way to success? And how is that relevant to me? What does that have to do with me? Mark Twain famously wrote that the two most important days in a person's life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. The two most important days in your life and my life are the day that we were born and the day that we find out why. Now, that's a huge insight that Mark Twain makes there because what he is doing is he is connecting success to purpose. He connects success with purpose. Now, out there in the world, that is not what we find. Success is connected with all kinds of other things before it's connected or associated with purpose. Success is connected to wealth, it's connected to achievement, to fame, to reputation, to comfort, to convenience, to pleasure to adulation, to all of these other things. But Mark Twain says, no, no. Success, flourishing, fulfillment, it begins with purpose. Long before he did that, we see that in the third conversation from Jesus that I'm going to share with you, Jesus does exactly the same thing. When Jesus is asked, ironically by a lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? And what he's actually being asked is, what are we meant to do? What's the key to life? What's the secret to success? What's the standard of success? What is the meaning of life, Jesus? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives two answers, and neither of them are inherently instructional. This lawyer is looking for instructions. 
in the same way that we often are. What am I meant to do to be happy? What am I meant to do to be successful? Jesus says, no. Go and love God and go and love other people. He gives two relational responses. He's asked an an instructional question and he gives two relational responses. What is he saying? He's saying that the two purposes for which you and I were made, the two primary purposes, these aren't the only purposes, but these are the two primary reasons for which you and I were made. Number one, to be in loving relationship with God, and number two, to be in loving relationship with the people around us, with each other. That is what success looks like. That is your purpose. That is my purpose. That's the reason for which we were made. That's what we are designed for. That's how we attain the fulfillment and the flourishing and the peace and the security and the identity and the joy that we are all looking for. That is the Christian definition of success, to be in loving relationship with God and to be in loving relationship with each other. And so we come back then to this pearl merchant from the Bible and this pearl diver, Kino, from Steinbeck's novel, and we begin to see the big distinction. R.T. Kendall, the great theologian, on this parable, in his commentary on the parable of the pearl of great price, he says that the pearl merchant from the Bible who finds this pearl of great value and sells everything in order to buy it, in order to attain it, he says there are two, he, he actually identifies a number of them, but there are two primary prevailing characteristics of this pearl merchant that we need to draw from and learn from. The first is what Kendall calls informed ambition. This pearl merchant knew exactly what he was looking for. He was like the animals in Madagascar. He knew what he needed for life, for fulfillment, for flourishing. That's our first challenge. We need to know what we are looking for. It doesn't matter how well we look for it and how intelligent we are, how beautiful we are, how strategic we are, how well-educated we are, how tech-savvy we are. None of that is relevant if we have our ladders leaning up against the wrong building. We need to be looking for success in the right place. And Jesus says, that begins with a relationship with me. And then it plays out in relationships with other people, loving relationships. So informed ambition is key. And that is where Kino went wrong. He was so focused In that story, he was so committed, he was willing to give up everything else, he was willing to allow the quality of his marriage to be sacrificed, his stability, his faith, he stopped going to church, he lost all other meaning except focusing on protecting and selling this pearl that he had found. So we couldn't fault him for his commitment, for his devotion, for how hardworking he was. Where he went wrong was his ambition was not properly informed, he was focusing on the wrong thing. He should have been focused on his relationships. He should have been focused on his family. He should have been focused on his faith. He should have been focused on protecting his wife and his son, not on protecting the pearl. His ambition was not informed. You and I are called by God to have informed ambition, to remember first and foremost that success rests not in what we achieve or how much we have or how comfortable or enviable our lives are materially, but how diligently and well we are investing in those two important categories of relationship, our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, informed ambition. The second thing we can learn from the parable is 
proactive sacrifice. This pearl merchant was willing to give up everything else he had just to get this pearl of great value. The question for you and I is, what are we willing to give up? We know from Scripture, we know experientially, we know from the data and the evidence, both inside and outside the Bible, that our pearl of great value, our ultimate object of success, is Jesus. It's our relationship with Jesus. That's our pearl of great value. The pearl of great value is relationship with Jesus. We should be willing to invest in that at all costs. Everything else good in life, all other flourishing and fulfillment flow from that. They all begin with that. And this is where we get to, I think, the most beautiful aspect of this parable, this two-verse parable. I've talked about it in the context of success being embodied primarily in a loving relationship with Jesus and loving relationships with other people. And so in that sense, yes, Jesus is our pearl of great value. He's the one that most perfectly and relationally embodies the kingdom of heaven that that parable talks about. Jesus and our relationship with him is the pearl of great value. He is our pearl. But there is a beautiful second dimension to this two-verse parable. Not only is Jesus our pearl of great value, you are God's pearl of great value. He came into the world as a person, took on suffering and brokenness and hurt and pain. He gave up everything of himself for you. He came to get you, for you and me. You are his pearl of great value. It's a wonderful, mutually illuminating parable. Jesus is our pearl of great value. And you are his pearl of great value. So what does that mean for you and I? That relationality, that reciprocity has an enormous offering. It offers us ultimate success. And what does that look like? We know. It looks like loving relationship with God and loving relationship with other people. But how is that relationship made possible? It was only made possible because God came into the world as a person, died for you and me, so he could offer you that relationship to pay for all of your brokenness and my brokenness, all of our messed upness, all of our struggles, all of our shame, all of our guilt. Now that relationship is open and he gave up himself to make that possible. The question for you and me now is what are we willing to give up in order to invest in that relationship, in order to step into that relationship? We have very little to offer, but thankfully, God calls us to give only that which we have, simply what He gave. He gave Himself, and He asks you and I to give ourselves. That's all we're asked to give. We just give ourselves. And if we are willing to give ourselves into that relationship, that is the self-giving. That is the, the power and the beauty of relationships that are self-giving. And even if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, you know that in human relationships too. Authentic relationships of trust and love and affection are only meaningful where there is mutual self-giving. So it is with our relationship with God. He gave of himself and now it's up to you and I. What are we willing to give up in order to attain ultimate success, ultimate flourishing, ultimate fulfillment? All it is is a relationship. We don't have to achieve. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to behave in a certain way or memorize this or engage in these rituals or perform in a certain way. 
We don't have to be beautiful. We don't have to be rich. We don't have to succeed at work. All of those things may or may not flow in different ways. All we are called to do is step into relationship and we fulfill our ultimate purpose. I'm going to say a short prayer now just to give anyone who's watching this an opportunity either to say yes to that relationship that God offers you and me, possibly for the first time, possibly for the first time in a long time, or maybe you just want to recommit. You're already walking with Jesus in that way and you just want to recommit to that and reaffirm your faith. So wherever you are, just close your eyes with me, bow your heads, and feel free to join me in this prayer in your hearts. Lord God, I thank you for all the wonderful things in this world, the things that I enjoy and the worldly successes that I work towards. But I recognize that that is not ultimately what you made me for. I accept that you made me for relationship with you and for relationship with others. And I'm sorry that too often I define success based on how I feel or based on what my society and the world around me tells me. I'm sorry that I've tried to be the God of my own life and the God of my own success. I want to submit today or resubmit today to your model of success. I want to focus on my relationship with you and my relationships with other people as my ultimate anchor and definition of success. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your renewal. And thank you that from here, you have promised to walk with me. I promise to do everything I can with my heart and with my mind to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.